You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. RCMP are on the hunt for a suspect after a series of suspicious fires in a rural area of Mission. Dozens of people living near Gunn Avenue have been evacuated as a precaution. Cassidy Moscone has the latest on the unfolding situation. A mission home on fire, a boat and cars alight. Police say this was no accident as they look for a potentially armed suspect loose on Gun Avenue. Mission RCMP got the call around 7am. The emergency response team called in while neighbouring residents were ordered out. How are you feeling? Oh, a little stressed. I got kicked out before I was getting a phone call from my doctor appointment. There was uh, banging on my door. Overnight, a second blaze, also on Gun Avenue. Officers say several buildings were fully involved. Oh yeah, it was billowing up. It was right in my backyard, basically. It was pretty fantastic, I'd say probably 40 feet in the air. RCMP is investigating whether the two fires are linked. We're at about the nine hour mark now and the roads to Gun Avenue are still blocked off. Neighbouring residents are being kept in the dark and firefighters are still on scene. Police have been here before. Somebody was murdered there and uh, a couple of years ago. In 2020, a 64 year old's body was discovered inside a burnt out home at the scene of Wednesday night's fire. RCMP don't believe anyone was injured in this blaze. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. As expected, the BC government is fine-tuning its drug decriminalization experiment. After complaints from businesses and parents, there are a number of locations now where possessing or using illegal drugs is banned. Richard Zussman has the details. First it was schools, then it was parks. Now the BC government has moved to ban the consumption of hard drugs in almost all public places across the province. We can find this balance, and we will. Um, because it is essential to address the toxic drug crisis and to ensure we have livable communities for everybody. Uh, Honourable Speaker, I move that the bill be introduced and read a first time now. On Thursday, the Honourable BC Speaker, NDP introducing the Restricting Public Consumption of Illegal Substances Act. Illegal substances can't be consumed near playgrounds and sports fields, beaches and parks. The new law, once passed, also will prohibit the use within six metres of workplaces, community centres, shopping malls and libraries, banning the use of these drugs in any doorway or entryway of these public spaces. This comes as the province grapples with the repercussions of drug decriminalization. Our compassion, our understanding that that system doesn't work to address addiction issues does not mean that we need to tolerate public drug use uh, in our communities. Decrim ensures drug users are not arrested or charged for possessing small amounts of hard drugs, a policy strongly supported by BC's chief coroner, now raising concerns about this new legislation. Forcing people to hide their drug use in you know, a back alley or somewhere that is out of sight of, of anybody, um, while I can see that has appeal for those who might find you know, drug use uncomfortable, um, it certainly will raise the risks for those who are using drugs. When passed, the law will leave police with two options. They can ask the drug user to stop consuming in the space or to leave the area. They cannot arrest anyone for using, but can increase actions if someone doesn't comply with the request. 
it will involve education uh, for police officers on the, uh, the new law, on the new bill. Um, police were very clear, they're not interested in criminalizing. BC United has been calling for these changes now in legislation, including restricting use at libraries. But they would go further, getting rid of decriminalization entirely. It was poorly thought out. They did not have the proper guardrails in place. And this is just one of many examples of how decriminalization has failed British Columbians. A decriminalization policy now looking much different after this new legislation. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Reaction to the new restrictions depends on whom you ask. Krista Dow has more on how drug advocates and the business community feel about the changes. This is a setup for more de deaths in this uh, crisis, definitely. A grim prediction from David Ham of Vandu, the Vancouver area network of drug users, responding to proposed changes that would ban hard drug use in front of businesses, beaches, and parks. A move, he says, would push some of the most vulnerable back into the shadows. Using alone, there's much more chance of you, uh, you know, not surviving. They're vilified all the time, right, as, as being the problem, when in fact, the major problem with outdoor use is that there's no housing. Uh, the old system wasn't working, and uh, without question, allowing people to use hard drugs wherever they like is not uh, what British Columbians want either. EB calling it a balance of maintaining public safety while encouraging the use of overdose prevention sites. But Ham says space is limited. There's a lot of injection sites, but not enough in in inhalation sites. The uh, use of users these days is primarily smoking now. Just a stone's throw away in Chinatown, businesses reacting positively to the proposed ban. The optics, perceived or real, have impacted the historic neighborhood, they say. The businesses, not only just in Chinatown, but you know across the uh, downtown peninsula, have a really tough time with uh, drug use in front of their stores. This couldn't, couldn't have come any sooner. And reaction on the street, polarizing as you'd expect. Yeah, I would agree with banning it. I think it uh, hinders a lot of the, um, you know, local business. local business. Realistically, if people are pushed into more shady corners and further out of the city, it's only going to get worse. For hard drugs, I agree. Soft drugs and pot and that, no, they should not. Meanwhile, Vandu says they've already taken steps toward urging users to be good neighbors, like being discreet and not using around children. They're hoping for consultation with the province before the legislation is passed into law on ways to make it safer for everyone. Krista Dow, Global News. The province has cut the funding to a drug user group after it admitted to buying street drugs from the black market. Vancouver Coastal Health had provided $200,000 to Dolph, the Drug User Liberation Front, for services such as drug testing and harm reduction supplies. But Dolph also runs a compassion club that sells tested illicit drugs to members as a safer alternative to the street market. In a statement to Global News, Health Minister Adrian Dick says the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions has directed VCH to terminate Dolph's funding contract. Earlier today, BC United demanded an audit of the funding for both Dolph and the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, which recently received a million dollars from VCH. And we're demanding that they do an audit so we know where those dollars are going, how they're being used, and is this really where the government wants to be going with tax dollars? That's $1.2 million of taxpayer money going just to those two groups. We've been an organization for 25 years. We go by the book 
we follow the rules. It's sad, you know, it's just sad. It's sad that this is the conversation that we're having instead of the large, crazy amount of people that are dying every day. Now, Dolph couldn't be reached for comment on this story, but its co-founder previously told Global News the drugs from its Compassion Club were purchased solely through people's donations. Well, police are seeking the public's help in solving a violent crime in New Westminster earlier this week. Investigators say a man was shot at a home on Agnes Street near Maryvale early Monday morning. Police learned of the crime when he arrived at hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The New West Major Crimes Unit would like to hear from any taxi or transit driver or shift worker who was in the area between 3.30 and 4.30 a.m. on October 2nd and has dash cam or CCTV video. Of course, issues of drug abuse and crime are often associated with homelessness, and a new count shows the number of unhoused residents in B.C. has skyrocketed. Setting a new record, close to 5,000 people in Metro Vancouver say they are homeless. Catherine Urquhart has the details and possible solutions. It's a harsh reality for many more people these days being without a home. According to the Greater Vancouver Homeless Count, there has been a significant jump in the number of individuals experiencing homelessness. Since 2020, an increase of 32 percent, with 4,821 people saying they're homeless compared to 3,634 in 2020. Among those most impacted, the Indigenous population. Indigenous community uh comprises 2.4% of the population in the Metro Vancouver area. And with 33% of the count, that's 14 times Indigenous people are overrepresented in that count. I think the numbers speak for themselves and the heartbreak that is in those numbers. When you look on the streets, we know something's terribly wrong with the housing system and the social safety net. The Homelessness Services Association of BC performed the count in March. At the time, 64% said they were sheltered. 30% unsheltered, and 6% were in extreme weather response shelters. It confirms what uh, many of us have been feeling, what communities have been saying to us, which is that we are seeing an increase in people who are struggling in our communities. Vancouver had the largest number of homeless, about 2,400. Surrey was next, with about 1,000 people experiencing homelessness. It's really concerning, and what is even more concerning to me is to see the demographic of those numbers. The youth numbers and the seniors' numbers are all going up. This is a really tragic thing to see in our city. There are promises to deal with the problem. We're going to be aggressive around uh, uh, losses of rental housing like Airbnb and short-term rental providers. In this session, we're introducing legislation. We're going to make sure that we're providing attainable middle-income housing to take pressure off the low end by allowing more than one unit uh, per lot in legislation we're introducing here. Solutions desperately needed as our homeless population continues to grow. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. These are huge political issues too, and a new Leger poll paints quite a picture about how British Columbians are leaning when it comes to leader approval and provincial voting intentions. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with the details here. Keith, it looks good for the NDP, not so good for BC United. 
Yeah, another day, another poll, another day of bad news for BC United as it struggles to maintain or create an identity of, amongst the BC public. Clearly doesn't know what this party is. It's successor to the BC Liberals. This is the latest in a series of polls that basically have had the same findings. So here's a Leger poll from mid-September. More than 1,000 respondents on online decided voters, the NDP with a huge lead over the BC Conservatives now, which is a better known brand, I would venture, than the BC United brand, which is down at 19%. The Greens trailing far behind at 10%. When when it comes to leader approval, the gap is very similar. David Eby flying high, even though that number's down at 47 percent, down a bit from a pre previous poll. Sonia Firstenau, Kevin Falcon, and John Rastad, not much to show between those three as they trail David Eby by quite a margin when it comes to leader approval. Now, in terms of leader reaction, interestingly, a vote split like this would greatly benefit David Eby and the NDP. They'd run to an easy election win. But Eby's take is, with the Conservatives coming in and raising issues he thinks are kind of toxic, this is kind of bad news for British Columbia. And Kevin Falcon, the leader of the United, says he is confident by the time we go to the polls again, people will know who his party is and what it stands for. And the political nuance of, of whether or not this is somehow good news uh, for the NDP party, for me, is completely lost in the fact that this is a threat uh, to our functioning democracy. Uh, this is a threat to our ability to get things done here. This is a threat to our ability to work together as citizens on the big challenges we face. By the time the next election rolls around a year from now, I can assure you, people will know exactly what the choice is. And I'm very confident about our ability to demonstrate that we are the only party that has the competence, capability, and quality of candidates to be able to credibly form government in the next election. So one positive either opposition party can take away from this poll is that it also found that 52% of British Columbians think the province is on the wrong track. The challenge to the opposition, of course, is to make their case in front of British Columbians, because right now, even though they feel they're on the wrong track, they're siding with the NDP by basically almost a two-to-one margin over the alternatives. And, of course, it's not Election Day yet. We'll see how those numbers change between now and the next election, whether it's next spring or as it's currently scheduled to be, be a year from now, next October. All right, we've got a year to figure it out at the most anyway. Thanks, Keith. Well, it's no secret that many chronic offenders are living with substance and mental health issues. When they're released from custody, it's under conditions that usually involve treatment. But as Kristen Robinson reports, legal mental health and drug policy experts say access to those programs is falling far short of the need. Mohammed Majidpour shuffled out of jail Wednesday. One of his release conditions to attend the downtown community court mental health program and participate in treatment, but only if he consents. Less than 24 hours later, the violent repeat offender was back with drug paraphernalia in hand. It's, it's really sad that, you know, we haven't done anything to change his, this man's circumstances from getting out. Majid Poor, who has more than 30 B.C. convictions, including assault and assault with a weapon, spent months in custody before he was sentenced to one day in jail with credit for time served for a random racist attack on an Asian student last year. Are we setting people up for failure? 100 percent. Former addict turned peer advisor Guy Felicella says incarceration is not about rehabilitation. So we're not meeting the need by incarcerating people, and then we're not meeting the need when we let them out. And then they pick up using substances, and then it's the reoffending, rinse, repeat, parole violations, incarceration. So we're not actually changing anything. Coast Mental Health CEO says stats show 75% of those in jail are suffering from mental illness and or substance use disorders. 
if we know people have these challenges that need support and we're not providing them with that support, can we expect a different outcome? I mean, it's, it's incredibly frustrating that uh, we're not doing more. Criminal lawyer Chris Johnson says to start, Vancouver lacks proper detox facilities. They're terrible, they're old, they're understaffed, people don't want to go there. Secondly, we need to spend money on rehab, more, uh, not just people setting up a house and making money from people's welfare, but actual experts that can help these people. Felicella, who's been in these shoes and knows how hard it is to break free of the cycle, encourages Majidpur to try treatment. Hey, give it a shot. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Richmond RCMP are asking for your help after a dog walker was attacked by a stranger. The assault happened September 24th around 2.30 in the afternoon near this intersection at Moffat and Blundell Roads. Police say the suspect, described as a woman in her 30s, hit the 65-year-old woman in the face, poured a drink on her and fled. RCMP say there is no prior relationship. If you have any information, you're being asked to contact Richmond RCMP. A potential new route for rapid transit. Vancouver is exploring the possibility of building a SkyTrain line right down Hastings Street. Why it's a possibility next on the News Hour. This is one of a trio of large escort tugs. The BC company building a reputation for the best tugboats in the world and the man at the helm keeping his grandfather's dream alive later. Also tonight, Maple Ridge residents in a battle with bears. The startling increase in interactions still to come. All right. Right now, though, the Hastings Street corridor is somewhat surprisingly emerging as a priority for expanding rapid transit. Vancouver City Council wants to link downtown Vancouver to the PNE and beyond and is asking TransLink's Mayor's Council to look into it. Aaron MacArthur explains. Vancouver charting a new course when it comes to future transportation projects. A motion at City Council placing a priority on the Hastings Street corridor, extending from the PNE downtown. Anybody that travels along Hastings, it doesn't matter what your mode of travel is, knows how busy and how congested that route is. Council is requesting that TransLink study the feasibility of a rapid transit connection on Hastings Street. The project remains at the bottom of the city's priorities. The primary focus is completing the Millennium Line extension to UBC. Council is shifting its planning emphasis, though, away from considering another east-west transit link from Metrotown to UBC and instead proposing improvements to the rapid bus service on 49th Avenue. That does include prioritizing 49th as well as Granville Street, Kingsway, and looking towards a new corridor in South Vancouver to support service along Southwest Marine Drive. Vancouver's motion more closely aligns with TransLink's long-term vision for the region. The access for all plan includes rapid transit down Hastings Street. But as of right now, that plan remains unfunded. The region says it will need more than $20 billion to realize the 10-year plan. A significant portion of that allocated to doubling the region's bus service, establishing nine new rapid bus routes, implementing a gondola to SFU, and introducing rapid transit to the North Shore, potentially connecting to a Hastings Street line. The ambitious plan will require substantial funding from senior levels of government. The Mayor's Council will convene at the end of October to align the city's desires with the region's goals and growth. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
Coming up, a dramatic crash on Highway 1. Transport trucks in a fiery collision and the latest on the fate of the drivers. Plus, we need a plan moving forward. The stalled policing plan in Surrey and why it's not very easy to figure out who's responsible. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Vitello Bridge. Keep in mind, though, there's road work at both ends as well as on the bridge deck over the overnight hours. Contact Kermac Expert Windshield Repair and Replacement Services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. One driver is dead after a fiery crash on Highway 1 near Spence's Bridge. The crash between two commercial vehicles happened about 7 a.m. with one of the vehicles bursting into flames. As you can see, metal debris and wreckage were strewn all over the road. Police say they have spoken with the other driver but haven't determined a cause of the crash. BC EHS says one person was treated at the scene for minor injuries. The road is expected to remain closed for several more hours. Well, the Surrey Board of Trade is warning residents the Surrey policing transition is going to end up costing taxpayers dearly. It has now been five years since the transition began, and the board is pushing the city and the province to come up with a plan to cost it out and complete it ASAP. Janet Brown reports. The Surrey Board of Trade is concerned how a new police force and keeping two up and running in the interim, the RCMP and the Surrey Police Service will impact business taxes. I don't know how the city of Surrey can even create a city budget with two police forces spending $8 million a month, basically. The board sent a letter to Solicitor General Mike Farnworth asking for a clear plan for the city for implementation of the new police force. My message to Minister Farnworth is you need to talk to our mayor. You need to talk to the city of Surrey in person. We need a plan moving forward. The mayor says until she gets a clear plan from the province for moving ahead with the SPS, she has no idea how homeowners or businesses will be impacted. Without a plan and to move forward, it is impossible for anybody to do financial planning. She says the SPS has until the end of November to present its budget to the city. What we do um, moving forward once we get that budget is, uh, is to take a look at it to see if the city believes we can afford it or not. Councillor Doug Elford says the mayor is stalling. This whole uh, policing process should have been resolved a year ago. So whose fault is that? In terms of, uh, I think it's the mayor and council. By, by reversing the decision last November, when they knew that it would never turn around, and we wasted 10 months or we're up to a year now. Farnworth says any delays are coming from the city of Surrey, and the director of police services has sent a letter to the mayor urging action. The letter outlines a number of issues uh, where the city has made statements or has not followed through uh, that are either simply not uh, factually correct or uh, the city needs to get moving on. For now, the RCMP remains the police of jurisdiction in Surrey while the transition takes place. Janet Brown, Global News. 
Residents of a Maple Ridge neighborhood are sounding the alarm over an increase in bear activity. Community members say the bears are killing animals on their farms. But as Paul Johnson reports, while they do want the issue addressed, they don't want the bears killed. Hey chickens, look what I got. Paul Doyle has designed his hobby farm to enjoy his gardens and egg laying hens. But lately, someone else has been horning in on the bounty. For six and a half years, the bears were just something cute to look at wandering by along the road. The first time the bear came, roughly a month ago, he broke this window, he peeled this piece off, and he tried to get this piece, trying to get through the door. But things are different this year. Doyle shows us the planks that a bear tore off the entrance to his chicken coop. He and other residents of the Wanick neighborhood of Maple Ridge are experiencing a general uptick in black bear encounters. <coughs> and a worrying trend with the chicken eater in particular. I believe it's the same bear that's he's teaching the other bears. Have a look at the prime suspect, believed to be a large male the other bears make way for. In recent weeks, they think he's killed a number of sheep as well as Doyle's chickens. Well, there's talk of installing electric fencing and doing a better job managing attractants. So far, their only countermeasure is Diego the llama, who squawks when the bears come. We have had bears, coyotes, bobcats around our place all the time. There are various theories about what's driving the trend, from construction in the area to climate change. While they're not naive about living in bear country, they say something needs to be done about the big male. The big male is aggressive. He comes at people. He followed somebody down the road the other night. They've called the conservation officer service about the problem, and they have a consensus on one thing. They don't want that bear killed they'd prefer relocation if possible. The bear isn't doing anything that isn't the bear's thing. He's just trying to survive like you and me try and survive. In Maple Ridge, Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, the BC Conservation Officer Service did get back to us late today. They say they are aware of the issue with the farms in Maple Ridge and are working with farmers to mitigate livestock losses. Their statement says the COS recognizes losing livestock is frustrating, but it's not possible for the COS to create predator-free zones and that proper livestock husbandry management is critical. Up next, a small store battles government bureaucracy. After a decade of their organic dairy treats being in high demand, how red tape is ruining the business. Also ahead, the news a lot of Shushwap wildfire victims were waiting to hear. Good evening. Traffic is moving well in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some minor delays and congestion southbound at the south end at that Nordell exit. How low can they go? At Buy Low Foods, they go way low. Get incredible savings on great products with the lowest buy only at Save On, only at Buy Low Foods. I'm sure Stu is in Global One over at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A Victoria ice cream maker says she's being frozen out by government red tape after selling her locally sourced organic product for years without a problem. Now, all of a sudden, she's being told she needs a new dairy license. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the business owner finds the rules hard to swallow.
Beautiful eggs from Lockwood Farms, uh, heavy whipping cream and half and half cream from Avalon Dairy. These locally sourced organic ingredients are transformed into tasty treats that seem to keep customers coming back for more. Thank you, that's so cute. We have vegan ice cream, we have dairy ice cream, and we've been selling in uh, stores for the last 10 years or so. But on October 1st, cold comfort was pulled from the shelves at more than 20 Greater Victoria grocery stores after Autumn Maxwell was told her ice cream did not comply with provincial regulations. It needs to be in the form of a pre-made ice cream mix coming from a licensed dairy plant or you can become a licensed dairy plant yourself. The small business already seeing a big impact. This is where all of our wholesale orders usually go. <laughs> it will probably be 25 to 50% of our business. But changing her ingredients to meet the provincial legislation. That is definitely not an option for us. According to the BC Centre for Disease Control, there are legal requirements in place in the food industry to help prevent foodborne illness. Island Health is responsible for enforcing those rules and in a statement writes, we've been working with this business for a number of months to support them into coming into compliance. It seems illogical, especially because you've been doing it successfully for 10 years without any incidents. And the government has too many too much power in what they can and can't do. And we need to stand up and say no. We are looking at ways to certainly uh, adhere to all the safety measures that are in place to protect people, but try and make it easier for small businesses like Cold Comfort to operate. That sounds great. I would love to have that conversation. <laughs> in the meantime, Maxwell is still able to sell from her storefront thanks to an exemption under the Milk Industry Act that allows smaller food premise operators to make lower risk dairy products. But just like the name says, that's cold comfort. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Canadian Blood Services is asking you to donate blood now as the distribution of blood to hospitals continues to outpace the number of donations being made across the country, including here in B.C. Many Canadians answered the call for blood and plasma donations over the summer, but there is still a shortage. More than 107,000 units of blood is needed each year, meaning roughly 5,000 more donors are needed over the next four weeks. Donor centers are located in Vancouver, Surrey and Victoria. Eligibility criteria for donating blood is constantly being updated and Canadian Blood Services is urging those who are able to donate. Still ahead, nearly 100 years of boat building in BC. The designs that we created locally attracted international attention. The third generation naval architect carrying on where his father and grandfather left off. And later in sports, the feeling of brotherhood that helped the Whitecaps clinch a playoff spot. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. Seven weeks after wildfire tore through homes and threatened communities in the shoe swap, the all-clear has now been given for the entire area. While the fire danger had passed, until today, a number of properties in and around Solista, Scotch Creek and Lee Creek were still subject to evacuation orders. Those orders were designed to protect property owners 
from safety hazards and other impacts caused by the fire. And their removal will now allow those people to finally begin the process of cleaning up and rebuilding. In all, 270 homes and other structures were lost to the huge Bush Creek East wildfire. Well, it was a summer of record-setting heat around the globe, with September being the biggest anomaly. The EU Climate Service says the global average surface air temperature reached 16.38 degrees last month. That's 0.93 degrees above the average September temperature since 1991 and half a degree hotter than the previous record set in 2020. So that puts 2023 on track to be the hottest year in recorded history. Yikes. Mm -hmm. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now to talk more about our weather and uh, starting mm -hmm. to look better in terms of our drought situation, Christy. That's exactly right. It's amazing, though, when you look at those, uh, you know, global temperatures, how it just keeps on going. Now, for our region, the impact from climate change being the drought that we've seen over the last year, we are hoping that we get moisture into the ground before the ground freezes uh, come wintertime, and then we can't get that moisture into the ground. We have had some moisture, and we've had an improvement just in the last week. So this is from September 21st when we had some of the worst scenarios. Now, the northern regions, you can see it has gotten Worse, so that's BC Peace River South, Prince George area. But all coastal regions, including the North Coast, Central Coast, and South Coast, have actually gotten better. Same for the Okanagan Valley. So those uh, drought levels have come down. We still have further to go, and we're hoping for more moisture. It's not going to happen in the short term. Right now, we've got this ridge of high pressure that has built. You saw the sunshine today. We're going to see sunshine for the next three days. So it's going to be a beautiful start to our long weekend. But by our Thanksgiving Monday, rain pushes back in big drop that's what we need right there and that would be the case in through the interior regions also so enjoy the first bit of your long weekend we certainly will love the sunshine but we need that rainfall also so uh, it's good that it is in forecast in at least the next several days all right so there's your forecast any cloud cover you see there is just a bit of morning fog otherwise we're expecting straight sunshine and for metro vancouver that means 19 to 24 degrees across metro vancouver and potentially 25 degrees on saturday looks like sunday will be nice and sunny, sunny also with increasing cloud expected overnight and likely rainfall on Monday. All right, that's a Thanksgiving Monday. Look at tonight's central windows weather window. This is the old settler, which is a peak that is not too far from the Harrison Lake. Robert and Claudine were um, uh, flying over that sensational shot. Thank you to Robert for sharing that with us. Very cool. And good forecast. Mm -hmm. Guilt-free sunshine when you know the rain's coming, that's for sure. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> that is a beautiful shot. All right, Squire is here now, and uh, good news for the Whitecaps. Well, it was a good game last night. I mean, the Whitecaps believe they were a playoff team this season, and now they are a playoff team. I don't want to sound cocky or I don't want to sound like, but I think that this team is able to play and win against every team. Well, they beat St. Louis last night 3-0, and St. Louis was the number one team in the West coming in. There are still two games left before the postseason starts, so Vancouver can improve its seeding. Look forward to that. Also tonight, the BC Company with nearly 100 years of boat building history and how its tugs are among the toughest in the world.
<laughs> we need to get some fresh air in this studio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or less dust or something. Less dust, maybe. It hits us in the commercial breaks, thankfully. We're good to go now. All right, Squire, go for it. All right, I'll try my best. Um, Vancouver t-shirts still have relevance after the Whitecaps officially made the playoffs last night with a rather emphatic 3-0 win over St. Louis. See, there's Vancouver t-shirts right there. It was the kind of game the Whitecaps haven't had enough of this year, where they were not only the best team on the field, but they won the game as well. We've seen too many times this year when the Whitecaps were the better team, but the best they could get is a tie. So making the playoffs is also going to go a long way to getting Vanny Sartini a new contract, because I think making the playoffs might have been a prerequisite for him staying here. The Whitecaps with the 3-0 victory. Vanny Sartini's side are heading into the playoffs. After falling short of making the playoffs on the final day of the regular season last year, the Whitecaps are postseason bound again, an accomplishment they were confident they could achieve, but there wasn't a lot of celebration afterwards. They have much grander goals in mind. Um, after the match, it just felt like a, a regular a regular match, so I think that's, that's the better mentality to have because ultimately, yeah, playoffs is great, but we're going there to... Um, go all the way and, and compete for MLS Cup. Now Brian White with a great first touch. He's in on goal. What a chance for Brian White! And the Whitecaps have the advantage! Job one was to get into the playoffs. Now the Whitecaps would love to finish top four, which would give them the extra home game in the first round best of three. But they are running on fumes. Their match in Seattle Saturday will be their seventh in 21 days. And they'll be without their top midfielder, Andres Kubas, who hurt his shoulder Wednesday versus St. Louis. They'll try to win, of course, in Seattle, but not at the expense of risking injury to players who they'll need to be 100% healthy for playoffs. It's a time of the year that uh, being ready to go, it's even more important than being uh, having top quality. But this is a team that feels it is built for a long playoff run. They've got the talent, but it's the team spirit and determination that has everyone excited about the possibilities for the Whitecaps. We've dealt with a lot of uh, adversity this year, I think with all the away games and just guys being in and out. And no, I think we're, we're a solid group and everyone's friends, and with that it makes it a lot easier. Uh, you create that brotherhood of fighting for each other and, and wanting to win in moments um, such as the playoffs when when you know, the difference between the teams is minimal. I think that brotherhood will hopefully come through. I think no achievement is out of reach, to be honest. I don't want to sound cocky or I don't want to sound like, but I think that this team is able to play and win against every team. That doesn't mean that we will do it, but I think we have the chance. Another big game at BC Place is tomorrow. Lions in Winnipeg, 7 o'clock for first place. What you're about to see is Rick Campbell when his razor was working. Do we have Rick Campbell? Oh, we don't. Okay, whatever. Yeah, it's sad. But uh, during the last month, the Lions coach decided to forego shaving, and it seems his facial hair, there he is with no beard, it seems his facial hair has some magical quality to it as far as his team is concerned. After that win over Saskatchewan last week, the uh, first thing Campbell said to the Lions in the dressing room concerned his beard, which is undefeated. First off, yes, beard does live. Yes, what is the beard's record now? 
I believe it's 4-0. It started with the Montreal game, so I'm pretty sure it's 4-0. The boys seem to be responding to the beard. <laughs> well, yeah, the beard took a life of its own, so uh, um, I'll keep it going, though. I'm, I'm All right, so last night the Canucks were in Abbotsford playing the Seattle Kraken. They didn't win, the Canucks, that is. Uh, although former Kraken Carson Soucy scored Vancouver's only goal. Uh, one thing that Rick Tockett said after the game, he liked to see more goals from his team in preseason. There's been three games where the forwards haven't scored at all. Uh, this was the winning goal. It was only 2-1 last night. Ellie Tolvin and not the most exciting game, unfortunately, for the people who paid to see it. Canucks have one more preseason game. Then they have to make whatever roster decisions are left, especially on defense. And then next week it's for real against Edmonton. Now, the longest-serving Canucks employee, Stan Smeal, has announced he will be changing roles with the team. Instead of being part of hockey operations, he'll now work for the Canucks community and business section as an ambassador. It's amazing. This is the only job Stan Smeal has ever had his entire adult life, is working in some capacity for the Vancouver Canucks, of course, starting as a player in 78. First Canuck to have his number retired, and so many roles since then. He is a lifer with the Vancouver Canucks, and there's the great Jennifer with him as well in that shot. Nice to see that. Imagine there the anniversary go. gifts, you know, the ones you get on those money. Oh, he has about 30 gold watches by now. Right? <laughs> yeah. That is loyalty, and it's good to see it. All right, thanks. Both Mark. ways. Yeah, absolutely. Ways. Yeah. Up next, the BC designed tugboats that are being put to work around the world, getting some well-known ships out of tight situations. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong has a look ahead to what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, a corporate restructuring at BC Ferries. The company is adding some new divisions and some new vice presidents. You'll hear why at 11 plus criticism that BC Ferries is already top heavy with management. Also, is this a sign of the times or just a sign of a rogue hospital employee in Williams Lake? The real story behind this alarming message Later tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Created some buzz today for sure. Sure Thanks did. very much, Jordan. Well, take a look around almost any of the world's major ports and you'll see boats designed right here in B.C. Three generations after its inception, Robert Allen Naval Architects is one of the best in the ship designing industry. And as Jay Durant shows us on This is B.C., it's still smooth sailing ahead. All right, alliance plan. Digging through the archives to uncover some vintage original drafts by Robert Allen, a Scottish immigrant who started up a one-man naval architecture company in 1928. A small ferries, work boats, um, quite a few smaller fish boats. Grandson Robert Allen was introduced to the family business as a kid when he would drop in to visit his grandfather and dad Bob, who teamed up to run it in 1945. I can clearly remember sitting at, at a small desk there and being given a pad of paper and a pencil and just sketching, doodling, doodling boats. Business started booming in the following decades with hundreds of designs for the iconic BC tugboat. I can't look anywhere in the coast here without seeing something that came out of this office. The company's international footprint expanded. They watched their tugs help free the Ever Given after it blocked the Suez Canal. And they're at the forefront of advancing technology on tugs to help with coastal escorts after the Exxon Valdez oil spill. We had a bit of an aha moment. I just, 
attaching various kinds of appendages to this basic model. We had a big run on designing fireboats in the post 9-11 period. Robert Allen Limited has designed workboats of all kinds, including the world's first electric tug as global growth continues for the company. There are 25 shipyards around the world in 15 different countries on six different continents building our vessels. A BC success story three generations in the making that started with one employee and his early designs. I'm sure he'd have something scathing to say about the fact that, uh, you know, using computers to do what he used to do by hand. Uh, he and my father would be really pretty amazed to, to see how the business has grown. I think he'd be, uh, he'd be pretty proud. Jay Durant, Global News. I'm sure he would be. Mm -hmm. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. They all had cool names. Multra Tug 32. <laughs> like, it just sounds tough. Why 32, yeah. though? I don't know. Well, there might be 32 in the fleet. You never know. Uh, okay. Some of those ports. Okay, got it. Uh, all right, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Lots to look forward to in terms of sunshine. We need some rain, as we well know. That will arrive on Thanksgiving Monday. Nice day to slow things down after a nice long weekend. Love it. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.